Listener supported. WNYC Studios. A co-presentation of WNYC Studios and Night Vale presents. You are listening to the Orbiting Human Circus of the Air. Have you ever dreamed, when listening to a popular song, that you yourself are the singer? As friends, family, and casual acquaintances listen, astonished at your charismatic ability to transform our poor reality with the power of song? The janitor has nightmares like this. In his dream, he is in a schoolyard filled with his various childhood bullies all of them arranged chronologically up to his last one, Alari. In this case, thankfully, they are not made of flesh and blood, but of paper mache. It appears to be a New Year's Eve scene they are depicting, as evidenced by the fact that the children are all drinking champagne, which, to avoid scandal, is also made of paper mache. The only thing not made of paper mache is John Cameron who is standing on a gigantic pair of stilts dressed as the baby New Year, wearing a top hat and drinking a bottle of champagne, which is also not made of paper mache. He and the bullies have cornered the janitor on top of the monkey bars, where the janitor stands facing them as if he were on stage. So you want him to sing it. Tell him to sing it. It's New Year's, Julian. Everybody wants you to sing it. There's no question what song it is that John Cameron wants the janitor to sing. In France at this time, there was only one song associated with New Year's. It was a new song, it had been a tremendous hit, and it was all over the radio. But John Cameron's need to hear the song was so desperate, he appeared to be in pain. The janitor feels bad for him, and so, though he's afraid he's not quite right for singing this particular song, the janitor takes a deep breath and begins to sing. Watching the janitor sing, John Cameron seems incredibly moved, and having already dropped his glass and the bottle of champagne, smashing them far below, he begins doing a bizarre interpretive dance. Leaping about, he waves his arms wildly around in a manner suggesting the passage of time. Mr. Cameron dances very well on stilts. And his dance is communicative of the universal anguish of all the mistakes one makes over the course of a lifetime. In fact, he seems to be acting them out one by one. And with a ballerina's grace, 
John Cameron shows us that he is so sorry. And all around him, the bullies come to life and they're sorry too. And the janitor is so sorry for so many things. And he realizes this isn't a song at all. It's a wish, it's a prayer. say what what did john cameron whisper he said the singer of the song is the one singing what does that mean i don't know but there's something else bothering the janitor who wrote that song the janitor searches his memory trying to recall whose song it was i was like on the tip of my tongue but it won't come Try to remember when you first heard it. Well, I remember I really liked it because it was like something my great-grandpa said. Because the song goes, laughs last. I figured out that it means that only the moments that we laugh together last. But that those will be the moments that you can always go back to, that they'll always be there. I suspect even the songwriter would be surprised to hear that that's what it meant. I remember I really wanted to meet the singer. But you don't remember who it was. And what has all of this to do with John Cameron? And why was he doing ballet on stilts? And why was he dressed as the baby New Year? If ever there was a man of mystery, it's John Cameron. Here's a story the janitor once told Coco about a conversation between John Cameron and Letitia Saltier in John Cameron's dressing room. I've been meaning to ask you, what is it between uh, you and the janitor? Not nearly enough. I'd prefer an ocean. Oh, oh. Sean, why did you just, uh, you smacked yourself in the head? The uh, flea keeps hiding in my hair and whispering diva into my ear. Did I kill it? I hope so. Oh, well, I hope not. Things can't go on like this, John. You need to think. You're right, I need a drink. No, think. Drink. Think. Drink. Think. I heard drink, and that's a great idea. Would you like one? I'm going to get one. Ah, uh, no, not really. I'm going to get two. I'm going to get one for me and one for the flea. I don't think he drinks. Small one. Yes, what is it between John Cameron and the janitor? Coco, for one, is fascinated by this question. <laughs> 
You see, the janitor's whole story seems to be one long series of events in which the janitor destroys John Cameron's life. And of course, at the story's end, he destroys his show. At least that's how Coco thinks the story ends. The janitor's never been able to tell it to him. You see, the moment he'd met the janitor, Coco felt that somehow, like in stories about ghosts, there was something the janitor had to tell. And Coco had felt this whole time that the janitor had to reach the end of the story in order to tell it. But the janitor never got to perform the end of the story for Coco. Something always stopped him. At the end of the janitor's story, he destroyed the show. It's a long story how. And to save it, he'd brought the great recitating platypus, a French myth believed by children to cure the common cold and other such illnesses by reciting magic poems. Mr. Platypus, I know you only cure sick and infirm people, but we are show people. The platypus did agree to save the show, and that night on the air... Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the great recitating platypus of the North. The platypus walks on the stage. Platypus opens its mouth and is about to speak. Oh no! But at that exact moment, as the janitor was about to tell the ending, the janitor's boss, Mr. Chenard, came storming up in a fury. And the janitor had run off and hid. Two days later, the janitor tried to tell Coco the ending of the story again. So, uh, the platypus walks up to the microphone. Julia! And Mr. Chenard came roaring up, the janitor fled. Okay. And it wasn't until several nights later when the janitor finally told Coco the ending of our story. And the platypus said, Julia! Oh my goodness. My goodness. It's Mr. Chenard. And then the next night... So the platypus said... Really? Wait. And a few nights later... The platypus... (laughs) And the janitor ran away. Coincidence though it may be, the story never failed to produce Mr. Chenard. It was like a magical incantation. And the more it happened, the funnier it got. Platypus... It allowed them to laugh together. (laughs) We will return in just a moment. Music from the Orbiting Human Circus is being released by Merge Records throughout the season on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, Bandcamp, and more. Listen today on your preferred digital music service provider by searching for the artist, The Music Tapes Present Songs of the Orbiting Human Circus. That's The Music Tapes Present Songs of the Orbiting Human Circus.
The janitor does not know if he can still exist beyond the grounds of the Eiffel Tower. He's never tried to leave. He's gone as far as the girders across from the ticket booth and no further. But he fantasizes about it often. He's doing so right now. He is imagining calling on Coco at his apartment for a day out boating. The night watchman opens the door and welcomes him in. I was going to go out, but then I forgot that you were coming here. I said, wait a minute, I can't do that. Right? <laughs> so I closed the windows. There's no big wind blowing. Yes, it is the perfect day for rowboating. They are now beside the Seine. The little rowboat is hidden under a bridge on a bank of the river. The janitor glances at it. Do you want, do you want to put it in? Coco steps back from the boat. A portrait of absolute relaxation. You're the guy, so you do it. And the janitor does. They row across all Paris. You comfortable? I can barely keep my eyes open. (laughs) At last arriving at a vast and beautiful amusement park. They get out, and the janitor gets them tickets. Hundred tickets, please. And they go inside, first feasting on carnival food. Oh, I want to get us going to the cop. And I'll find a stand in line somewhere. <laughs> the janitor wants to go on every ride he sees. That one. And they do. And later, they go back to the Eiffel Tower and spend the night chatting in the ticket booth. I turn the window on. Listen. Yeah, no, it's nice to have company. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got somebody to talk to, you get a response. Is this okay? Is that okay? You want another glass of wine? Whatever. They opened another bottle, and the janitor asked Coco if it was okay that he sort of hypnotized him all those times when he used to run away. (laughs) I never encountered that before. And Coco said it was. It didn't feel strange. I knew what was going on. Okay. So, very comfortable. Very comfortable. And later, considerably drunk, the two gossip about Mr. Chenard and his habit of hiring incompetent employees for the tower. And whoever's responsible for seeing to it that the position is filled has the responsibility of making a choice that the person they're choosing is up to the level of the responsibilities involved because if they hire them and they don't really see that this individual has the qualities and the characteristics of dealing with that situation, they're making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Oh, hire, definitely, they definitely. Need, they, they need to be hiring someone else rather than this person. Definitely. The janitor, of course, is imagining all of this. He is, in fact, alone in the Eiffel Tower commissary, where in reality we find him eating a day-old chocolate croissant and drinking iced coffee out of a wine glass. Definitely, definitely. The commissary is lit only by the light illuminating its many pastry cases. Mm, yeah. These are filled with tomorrow's desserts. The janitor lives off yesterday's. He leaves money for them in a small tin which they've left behind the counter for that purpose. They, being the commissary employees, who do not believe that the janitor exists, they think Mr. Chenard visits the tower to binge late at night. He is real, like like you and me. (laughs) And this is how it always is. You know what? What? I don't believe you. 
Why don't you I believe? believe you are the one who eat the croissant? No, it was not me who ate the chocolate ah, croissant. Ah. It was Julia. In any event, the janitor sits at a small table in the center of the room, absorbed in his fantasy. No, Mr. Chenard's nice. No, it, he's just maybe not the greatest judge of people. He speaks aloud to the empty room. Coco, you know, maybe next time he has to interview somebody, like, you know, maybe we could take a look at them too. You know, like, help him out. Do you want more wine? Here, hold out your glass. Okay. Good? Okay. He's so engrossed in pouring iced coffee into his wine glass that he does not hear the door open behind him as Coco, having heard him, steps into the room. Oh, it's excellent wine. It's, it has notes of, like, cherry. Coco knows loneliness, and so speaking to oneself, or to those who are not with us, are things he understands. But listening to the janitor, he smiles. Coco's never heard the janitor sound so beguiling and witty. He thinks this might be his opportunity to at last draw the janitor into a real conversation. Coco, I know we're both drunk and I'm probably going to regret this, but, um, the truth is I wanted to hang out with you tonight because I wanted to tell you something, um, you know how you always want to hear the end of the story and Mr. Chenard always comes and so, you know, I, I can't. Yes. And this is what keeps the story going. The truth is that I've only ever started to tell you the end of the story after I've seen Mr. Chenard was coming and after I've done something to make him mad. Uh, and it's not just when I tell you the end of the story um, that I do that. I think it's unconscious, but I do that every time I even start thinking about the end of the story. I'm never going to tell you the end of the story. Coco had remained quietly listening out of his desire to help the janitor, but this was beginning to feel wrong, like a violation of trust. Because if I do... Coco announced himself. Hi. Coco! The janitor turns beet red. Uh, wait, 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 wait. No, no. They don't know where it is, and you can't help them find it because you're not there. Coco, of course, is paralyzed, because that didn't make any sense. He's hypnotizing him. Look over there. Letitia's gathering the stagehands. Do you think they can find it? You're wondering, of course you're wondering. Coco relaxes. His eyes begin to close, and a big smile spreads across his face. This means only one thing. In the grand ballroom at the top of the Eiffel Tower, the red velvet curtains part, and suddenly the giant on-air sign above the stage lights up. Broadcasting from the top of the Eiffel Tower, the orbiting human circus of the air. We return to the janitor's story, not the dreaded ending, but where he last left off, with the flea. You remember the flea? You didn't really think we'd drop the flea, did you? There's going to be more flea. There's going to be so much more flea. 
Anyway, you'll remember, with the whole world waiting, after being announced by John Cameron on the biggest show of his life, the flea did not come out. Here he is! Is he here? Oh, God. It is that moment. Chief stagehand Letitia Saltier marshals her crew. Okay, stagehand, I know it is like looking for a flea in a dark theater, but, uh, well, it is, but uh, this is your moment. Find it. Don't look at me like that. Look at the floor. The stagehands split into groups. Jacques, Pierre, and Francois we find in the storeroom. We gotta find it. We gotta, we gotta figure move. out. We don't want to step on it. What? Yeah. It's very dark. You well, can't we, see nothing. You can't yeah. see nothing. Well, How we, are we supposed we, to get there? We got to move to find okay. it. That's okay. the thing. Okay. We don't move. Hold, we can't. Hold up. Hold up. We're going about this the wrong way. We got to feel for it. What? Yeah. You got, you got to. You can't force yourself to find it. You got to just let yourself find it. What are you talking it. about? Okay, listen up. Close your eyes. <sighs> this time we just let ourselves find it. And to let yourself find it, you gotta surrender. You gotta merge with the flea. Take a deep breath. <sighs> Take another deep breath. <sighs> Anybody picking up what I'm picking up? Yeah. You feel that? Yeah. Oh my god. Wait, it's uh this way? This way? Over 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 here. Whoa, this is uh a little bit close this way? Yeah, this way. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. I can't believe this. What? I think it's in the wall. It's in the wall. It's in the wall. It's in the wall. And in that wall is a heating duct. And in that duct hides a certain janitor. And in that janitor's sock hides a certain flea. Will the stagehands uncover the janitor? Will the janitor find the flea? Or will John Cameron be left on his hands and knees? A portrait of ruin before the entire world. Find out this and more when you join us next time. Until then, broadcasting from the top of the Eiffel Tower, the orbiting human circus wishes you a good night. The Orbiting Human Circus is a co-production of WNYC Studios and Night Vale Presents. Episode 5 featured Walter Lowry, John Cameron Mitchell, Drew Callender, Susanna Flood, David Barlow, Dan Solomon, Nicholas Carter, and Julian Coster. It was written and directed by Julian and further workshopped with the cast and crew of The Orbiting Human Circus, and produced by Christy Gressman, with musical composition and arrangement by Thomas Hughes and music by The Music Tapes. Lead editor Grant Stewart, editor Janelle Yee, and assistant editors Emily Marinoff and Jeff Tobias, with Julian. Sound design by Jonathan Siri Mose, Foley by John Ringhofer, and lathe cutting by Steve Espinola.
engineering by Vincent Cascione, and additional production and mixing by Will Stanton. For more information and full credits, go to orbitinghumancircus.com.